You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today we have two guests with us. They are Dr. Julie Stout and Corey Wasser. Uh, Dr. Julie Stout has been on with us before. Um, she is head of aging and neurodegeneration at the Turner Institute of Brain and Mental Health at Monash University. She's also director of Zinda Metrics. Um, formerly Stout Neuropsych, a spin-out company that provides pharmaceutical sponsors with an assessment platform and services for cognitive assessment and clinical trials. She's internationally recognized for her work uh, characterizing the decline in cognition in Huntington's disease beginning 10 to 15 years before diagnosis and progressing throughout symptomatic disease. Based on this work, she led the development of the HD-CAB, a standardized cognitive battery Fit for purpose uh, of clinical trials, which has now become the industry standard. Uh, funding Julie Stout's research work is diverse, including international um, NIH, Australian philanthropic CHDI, as well as commercial sources. She's chair of the Scientific Oversight Committee of Enroll HD, a natural history study of more than 19,000 people from HD families, which most of us know about and are in. Um, Corey is a registered provisional psychologist and is in the month of completing his doctorate in clinical neuropsychology at Monash University. Corey's research project is focused on characterizing the gut microbiome in HD and explores the efficacy of probiotics to improve the gut microbiome and HD symptoms, which is what we're going to explore today. Corey also works as a teaching associate um, and is the research project manager of the Monash HD Research Participant Database. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. And how is it over in Australia right now? Well, it's um, we're well into spring. The sky is blue, and we've all just been let out of our houses because um, our COVID numbers are very low because everyone's wearing masks. So we're all feeling quite good here. Thanks. Absolutely. So I, I'm pretty sure I asked you this question last time, Dr. Doubt, um, but if you would answer it again for us, why Huntington's disease? Yeah, sure. Um, but when I was a postdoc back in um, the 1990s in San Diego, the University of California, San Diego, that was right when um, the gene for HD had been identified in 1993. I didn't work on that, but I happened to be around right at that time, and I was just beginning to learn about HD. And um, I had, I was seeing patients as a clinical neuropsychologist, and what I was really struck by when I was working with Huntington's 
patients was the impact on families. The fact that, you know, it's just not a single person who's affected, but it's a whole uh, family and, you know, the generations before and the generations to come. And I think, um, you know, probably on a personal level, that was something that really struck me and uh, captured my interest and attention and helped me to kind of build a commitment because I guess, I mean, all of us have families and uh, it was easy to identify how devastating a disease like this could be um, that runs through families. Um, and it also just happened to be such an interesting time to be working on Huntington's disease. I mean, in the time since then, the past 25 years, so much has happened in terms of our understanding of the disease and now these really exciting treatments. And so it's, um, you know, we want this thing to go away, but it's kind of, it's, it's got so much, um, there's, there's so many interesting aspects of it in terms of just the family aspects, the social aspects, and then all these you know, novel, you know, state-of-the-art treatments that are being developed. So, uh, yeah, this is, you know, what's kind of gotten me into it and kept me in. And, Corey, what about you? Why HD? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, I think when I first started, I didn't actually really know a lot about HD um, when I first started, um, just as honest. Um, but as I, I, I started learning about and completing my um, my original honors project, so I think I was just really inspired by it. Um, some of the families that we came in contact with. Um, and as I suppose I worked more and more into it, I got, um, I, I just, I've, I don't know, I've always felt like I wanted to keep working in, in HD and maybe a lot of that inspiration comes from Julie in the way that she talks about um, HD. But I think uh, we just keep learning and um, knowing so much more about it. And I feel like um, there's just a lot more to do. So I think that's really why um, I suppose I wanted to stay in HD research, even though I didn't know much when I started. Well, and we're glad to have you for sure. We definitely need as many researchers as possible to help us find good treatments and, you know, what's going on in order for us to have um, better quality of life. You know, I always, I'm, we always want to say a cure, but along the way, it's about quality of life as well. And the more you find out about it, um, the better quality of life you can have. So uh, let's see. So today we're going to be talking about the gut and Huntington's. So can you tell us a little bit about your research and what it entails? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll go for that one. So basically what um, we want to do is really just to try and look at um, the gut in Huntington's disease. Um, I suppose the reason why we want to do that is because we've known for many years now that basically that the gut and brain are related to each other or affect each other in, in some manner, but um, it hasn't really been explored in, in Huntington's disease. Um, but in the last few years or so, we've, we've learned a lot more about it in other diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, et cetera. And it does seem that there is a bit of a strong link between the gut um, and the brain there. So it's, it's something that we thought really should be investigated in Huntington's disease. Um, the other reason why I saw is that um, in HD, there are um, some people do experience um, gastrointestinal symptoms and things like that as well. And we also know that the Huntington gene um, is expressed um, throughout the body, so it's not something that just affects the brain. And we know that it's in the gut as well. So it seemed like, um, uh, I, I suppose, a really good thing to investigate, um, given that we think that um, things in the gut might affect the brain and vice versa. So that's really, I suppose, the main reason why we wanted to look at that the first time um, in people with HD. So what kind of, you just mentioned that um, people with HD tend to have stomach issues, basically, um, you know, and, and gastrointestinal symptoms. So what does that mean? Like what symptoms 
do we what would we see in Huntington's? Sure, yeah, that's a good question. So it's not, I suppose it's not like a hallmark clinical feature like some of the other symptoms that you might consider, but um, particularly in later stages of Huntington's disease, um, a lot of people might have trouble with maintaining weight or they might have um, some gastrointestinal issues like diarrhea or constipation or things like that or esophagitis. Um, so a few types of um, clinical symptoms as well. Um, but um, what we do see, um, particularly in the later stages of, of HD, is um, difficulties just maintaining weight or, or chronic muscle wasting, which is which can be a really big um, issue for, for patients' quality of life, but also just for physicians to manage as well, because it can be really, and it can lead to other complications as well. Like if you've got a lot of nutrient deficiencies, it can just cause other complications. So, um, and we know that the, the, gut, the gut and the gastrointestinal system basically um, modulate that whole process. Um, I suppose understanding whether the gut is affected in, in HD um, could be really helpful to kind of explain that or, or perhaps um, enhance patients' quality of life. Oh, absolutely, uh, especially for those of us who are caregivers and yeah. um, not realizing that that could be a you know, late-stage uh, issue um, and explains a lot for me, actually, for my dad. So, um, yeah, that's very interesting. So what have you learned from this research? Okay, so um, I think uh, what we did, I'll just, maybe I'll just explain um, what we did because um, so, so what we want to do is really just um, basically sequence the gut and, and basically get a sense of all those different types of bacteria in there. Um, and we compared that to, um, to people that, that don't have the HD, um, that don't have the HD gene. And the way that we did that is we got um, all participants to, to supply fecal samples. Um, and then so um, what we did, so um, me and, and some other colleagues in the lab um, we basically have to deal with those samples and then send them off and get them analysed and then that gives you a really good sense of um, what we call the gut microbiome. So basically just the environment within the gut. Um, and so that, that, that actually has a lot of different um, measures that, that, that can be derived from that. But I suppose the key takeaways are what we showed is that um, in people with the HD gene, um, for people that are both um, symptomatic with started showing symptoms or people that don't have symptoms, um, we basically um, showed a few um, characteristic differences between PHD and those without. Um, so what we showed um, in summary is, is basically that the gut is less rich, so there's, there's less bacteria in the gut in people with, with HD. Um, but also it's, it's, it seems to be structurally different as well. So the bacteria that makes up the gut microbiome seems to be different in people with HD compared to, um, com to our matched um, healthy control participants. Um, and we also were able to link certain bacteria in the gut um, to HD symptoms, so to things like cognition, so thinking skills, such so as memory, um, but also to motor symptoms as well. It was associated with HD motor symptoms, some of the bacteria in the gut, and also that um, it seemed to be also related to the estimated disease onset. So if we could, um, what we did is we basically could associate certain bacteria with um, future um, prediction of HD. Um, it's just a, it's a it's a mathematical formula, so it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that the bacteria might um, cause progression, but it's just an interesting association that probably could be investigated um, a bit further. Absolutely, that is extremely interesting, um, and I mean just another avenue. You know, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So, what are your next steps with this? So um, I think the first thing is that um, this, the study that we've done, um, which is myself, 
you know, all this, that would be, it would be huge yeah. for the Huntington community be. provide yeah. quality of life. So um, yeah. this research is going to be just amazing to watch. Um, yeah. So I'm very, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It's really interesting. So what, what recommendations, well, here, let me ask this question first. So, is there a way that maybe you guys could pair with something like enroll to get the amount of um, participants you need to be able to? You mean the amount of poo? Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a lot of poo samples. Exactly. Um, yeah. To study what you need. Yeah. Look, I think um, potentially that is something that will, you know, is possible in the future. And, you know, a study like enroll is, you know, it's a huge, it's a big, huge thing. And you, you don't make changes to it without having good reason. So you need studies like Corey's because they provide the first evidence to, to start kind of creating some intrigue around the possibilities. I think probably the next step is to do it in a, in a bigger sample, maybe in you know 400 people or something like that. Because once we can do that, we can really hone in on what needs to be done. That's time to go knock on the door of an enroll and say, you know, if you know, if we can sample these kind of, you know, participants, get this much, you know, um, fecal matter, process it in this way, and so on. So, um, you know, definitely enroll it has a lot of potential. And and I know that the CHDI Foundation that funds enroll is very interested in this. Um, but of course, you know, they'll maybe wait and watch, maybe even support work that that. Um, will create the foundation to be able to make decisions about where to take this in the future. Um, so I suppose right now, you know, as Corey has said, you know, it's just, you know, very first bit of evidence. There's also now, um, there's another, uh, there's an animal study that was just um, published in this past week as well from um, Maria Borkvist's lab in, um, at Lund, um, and it's on the R62 mouse model, also a gut study. Tony Hannon, who's a colleague of ours here in Melbourne, he and Geraldine Kong um, published some really intriguing work on the on mouse model as well. Um, so we've just kind of built up a body of evidence, you know, over a couple of years, I suppose, um, to try and figure out where to take this, what its potential is. And, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a whole new world in, in this part of, of the research. Um, I think the, the other thing I, I suppose I, I did want to mention is just that I think what's really important about the gut too is gut is something affected by our lifestyle. Okay. So we, you know, exercise influences the gut and your health, you know, what you eat influences the gut. There are of course genetic variations, people who eat different types of diets, different ethnic backgrounds who have maybe spicy or bland diets, all these sorts of things can have an effect on all of that brings complexity into studying the human gut. That's why if you study mice, you know, you can give them exactly what you want them to have and you can make their, you know, you can really control what's in their gut. But in humans, there are really so many factors, but we know that a lot of those factors are under our personal control. They're based on our personal choices. So what would be really interesting is if we could figure out how to use, um, how to manipulate the gut through the lifestyle you know, through lifestyle changes in terms of what people eat, their physical activity and things like that, in order to, um, you know, use that as a as sort of like lifestyle treatment that could affect the way the brain's functioning. And, you know, these are the kind of things that, you know, there's, there's a big field out there outside of HD and outside of, you know, just unhealthy population, just trying to understand what, you know, it's like a kind of a new frontier in medicine. Um, really. And so, you'll, you know, we've all been hearing a lot about the gut and the microbiome and all that sort of thing for the past couple of years, but I think you'll see 
that over the next 10 years, you know, there's a lot more that will be uh, discovered. But I would say watch this space because this is a place in the body that's under our personal control. You know, there's not a lot we can do to change the way our brains are, you know, are acting. I mean, we can eat healthy for that too and keep the brain healthier. But, um, you know, there's going to be a lot that we can learn about how we have some control over what's happening in our gut and that they can might, you know, possibly have an uh, impact on the way the disease um, acts and so on. We just don't know enough to tell people what they should be doing, you know. And then we well, revert back it, to just saying, eat healthy, you know. Right, but that's, I mean, I'm so glad they brought that up because um, that was going to be, you know, in the meantime, what do we do? Well, we know that we know that diet and things affect the gut already. Like, that's just, we know that. Yeah. So why not try it in the meantime until you guys, I mean, you, you get more results and um, it doesn't hurt anybody to eat healthier. Yeah, <laughs> can right. only help. Right. Um, says the person who prefers ice cream over everything. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully, you find that ice cream is a cure all. Um, right, it's part of an important lifestyle. Um, you know, well, um, you know, but I think that is just what you just said is is so important about um, realizing that the things that you put in your gut make a difference. Um, and so, like you said, it's our choice as to what we do, um, with that and using that information. So while in the meantime, we're waiting on, um, definitive stuff, there's stuff we could still be doing. Yeah, that's right. Well, did you have any final thoughts for the Huntington's community? Well, there is probably one thing I would like to say, just to put this in perspective, which is. I think, you know, it's such an exciting time for us right now with the clinical trials that are going on. But right now, we're still so much at the beginning. And I think when the first treatments become available, it's not necessarily going to be right for everyone. And they're also not going to be, they won't be available to everyone in the world who has HD, which is, you know, something we really have to grapple with because it's not okay that we get a great treatment. But you, know, you can't give it to kids or, you know, you can't give it to people who are too advanced or, you know, there's no way to get it to someone in some part of Africa. You know, this is not okay. So we have to realize that all these clinical trials that are going on, even if they yield something great, which they certainly might do, it's not going to solve the problem with HD. HD is going to be around. So something like the work on the gut and all the lifestyle work that we can do is really important because we've got to realize that we can't leave anybody behind in the, in the treatments and, you know, treatments that have to do more with, you know, simple things like probiotics or exercise or lifestyle changes are, are things that can be available more broadly. So I just think it's important in this really exciting period of optimism to realize that, um, these exciting clinical trials that are going on are not the solution for everyone. And it's going to be a long time before we have something for everyone. And so we must continue to push on to figure out how to bring, you know, lifestyle changes to people so they have control of their own lives. Not only that, how to best care for and, you know, and, and look after all the different needs that people have who are affected by HD, their social needs. Do they have enough money? You know, can they get, residential care if they need residential care and, and so on. So we've just, we've got to keep our perspective a bit broader, um, it, it, even at a time like this when we're so excited about what's happening with all the, um, these new drugs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Corey, did you have any final thoughts for us? Um, I, I, I think, I think 
um, for me personally. I mean, I just think it, it, it definitely is really exciting, but it's, um, and we are learning more and more, um, which is really exciting. Um, in particular, for the gut, for me, I think there's, there is um, a lot more that we can do um, and that we are really just getting started. So, um, But I think it, I just think it is really cool and really exciting and that there are certainly, um, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of things that we can do and I know I've got a lot of ideas in my head um, about what are the next steps. But, um, you know, it might take a bit of time, but I just I think that it is kind of just another exciting avenue and just another different path of the world that we can look at, along with all the other um, amazing treatments and some of the clinical trials that really do seem quite promising. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking with us um, and uh, sharing this just this amazing research. Um, again, I'm just so excited about it. Um, and we'll definitely have to follow up in the future and see where things are going. And, uh, and thank you again for, for joining me and getting on Zoom and, and uh, doing this call all the way from Australia. Thanks so much for having us, Lauren. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Everybody take care. Yeah, you too. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.